The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once the Nurse, Always the Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I am very excited about this particular show. The title of our show today is called Francis Mackay, RN, Building a Culture of Diversity from 1929. I've been looking forward to this segment for two months, ever since I was at the home of Dr. Marie Manthe. Uh, and I met Ben Mackay and first heard the story of Ben's aunt, Frances Mackay, who broke the color barrier for nursing at the University of Minnesota in 1929 and then went on to lead a lifetime of challenging racial discrimination in nursing and in housing. This seems a particularly appropriate time to discuss this topic because it is 400 years ago this summer that the first two ships loaded with African slaves landed in Virginia at Point Comfort. From that day forward, the culture and economics of our country moved to a direction of those who own the power and those who do the hard work, which has in many ways followed through to this day. Acknowledging the reality and recognizing it will take all of us uh, to turn this giant ship to one of equality for all. This dialogue today is an effort to open a conversation on the subject by honoring one woman who beat all the stereotypes. Um, I also want to acknowledge that this story has played out at every university around the country and around the world, so it's not a singular story. My guests today, as I said, are Ben Mackay, and he is a nephew of Francis Mackay, and uh, Marie Manthe, who um, I just admire so much. So, Ben, could you give a brief overview of your bio and um, just a, a little bit of how you got to this point here? Thank you very much for this time today, uh, Um I am the nephew of Francis uh, Mackay. I had the honor of being uh, brought into this world uh, by her at the side of my mother in 1948. She uh, came back to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I was born to be a midwife for her sister-in-law. Francis and I have a long, deep relationship. She's referred to me maybe two years before she passed as her favorite nephew, and that was not solicited, by the way. Um, I spent summers with her uh, for most of uh, the first, uh, I'd say from the age of maybe eight to the age of about 16. Um, I really wasn't that cognizant of her pioneering ways as a nurse until later in life. Uh, but the influence of being around her constituted my path in life. I'm a historian. I'm an educational consultant. and I'm a multimedia professional. Um, 20 years ago, July of the summer, I created an organization called African American Registry. It's a nonprofit educational organization. We, we train teacher candidates and 
E12 teachers to be more culturally competent in all subject areas and all grade levels. We also have youth programs that are both interracial and intergenerational uh, that are working very deeply in the state of Minnesota, and we are expanding to California. So that's a little bit of who I am. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. Sure. And Marie Manthe, could you share just a little bit of your biography and how you came to nursing and to the work you're doing now? I, I sure can. Um, it's a long uh, story, and I'm going to make <laughs> it really quick. Uh, um, I'm one of these one- people who had a wonderful uh, 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 trajectory through the nursing profession, knowing that this is what I wanted to do ever since I was five years old. And I've had positions in almost every level of hospital nursing, and I've been a staff nurse, et cetera. I've ended up being a vice president uh, of two large institutions, and then I became a consultant. In between all of those activities, I actually was in charge of the unit that developed the concept of primary nursing. And that was one of the big experiences that informed my life. I learned so much about nursing and human nature and the humanization of care through that experience. Um, I have been involved um, with um, consulting uh, to humanize institutions. I developed a consulting company called Creative Healthcare Management that continues to grow and thrive. And over a long period of time, I've also been in recovery from addiction. Right now, my two passions in life are about... uh, making a difference in the issue of racism and also in the addition of addiction as it applies in nursing. I've already, I've already done a couple of programs with Once a Nurse on the issue of uh, addiction in nursing. As an alum of the University of Minnesota, I've come to love that school. Mm-hmm. And as a historian, I've been in a position to uncover some of our past that I find extremely beneficial as we begin to work on our trajectory into the future. And the experience with Frances Mackay, which has uh, been an opening of a door into uh, a a very racially uh, distinct history of the School of Nursing, has been an extraordinary learning experience for me. I'm looking forward to sharing more about that with you today. So am I. Okay, uh, Ben, could you just kind of give us uh, a track as far as how we're going to be talking about race uh, today? Sure, I can be brief. Um, And it is easy to do, uh, at least from my perspective, but um, race is an issue that is as old as this country. It's older than the landing at Jamestown in 1619. Um, And the... The reality of race in America is really about color, and that was created uh, technically with the Articles of Confederation of the United States, which was enacted in 1781, uh, over 150 years after that Jamestown landing of uh, the kidnapped labor force to help the agrarian nature of America get started. The Articles of Confederation were the preamble or the template for the Declaration of Independence. And if any one of your listeners statistically looks up the Articles of Confederation and they go to Article 9, Paragraph 5 of that legal document, they will see 
that the financial benefits of interaction through commerce with the 13 colonies or from any of the 13 colonies separately or collectively to the outer world in the 18th century were to be uh, constructed for the benefit, this is a quote in that paragraph, the benefit of its white inhabitants. So what that means going forward to this conversation is that when you're talking about race, you're basically talking about people that are white or people that are not. And that's the way I prefer to uh, address racism, even okay. as it has been affected by my aunt's uh, uh, discrimination at the U of M School of Nursing. Thank you. That makes it clear why we're referring to it this way in this conversation. Uh, Marie, tell us about the University of Minnesota. Okay, Leanne, I'm happy to. This began to be uh, uh, uncovered as the University School of Nursing was preparing for its 100th celebration, the 100th uh, centennial celebration, which was in 2009, uh, Parenthetically, let me just quickly say, um, this University of Minnesota is the first school of nursing ever to be, ta- uh, ever to, uh, be existing within an academic institution, mm-hmm. uh, a fact of which we are very proud. Mm-hmm. As we celebrated that centennial, one of the uh, issues that came to my attention as I was uncovering our history was the story of Frances Mackay. And this story... Uh, is a very powerful one, and we're going to make sure that Ben and I are going to share that with you in some detail. Um, what's happened subsequent to uncovering the discrimination that Frances McKay experienced has been a pattern of discrimination and racial uh, uh, racism that was present at the highest levels of the university throughout the beginning of it, all the way through into the 30s at least, if not into the 40s. Uh, interestingly enough, it was patterned in a checkerboard way almost in that one president was very strongly racist, the next president was not so strongly racist, he was replaced by one who was very strongly racist, mm-hmm. and so this has even been a political football, or mm-hmm. I should say an administrative uh, football back and forth that has affected the lives of student, uh, students at the university. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get a lot of this uh, in the beginning of the work uh, uncovered through Francis McKay, but something else happens recently at the university that I'm basing some of my remarks on, and that is an awareness that one of the major buildings on campus, the student union, named Kaufman Memorial Union, is named after a man who was extremely racist. And there was then some discussions at the highest level of the university about renaming buildings in general that were representative of people who held values that were not consistent with those of the university. This led to an appointment by the Board of Regents of a high-level study group comprised of mainly uh, professional historians as well as other, uh, a few other folks, to look into the history of the university around the question of should we be renaming any of these buildings. The report that they developed is very informative and disturbing, to say the least. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a fair, uh, there are quite a few references to the nursing story about what was happening in the 20s and the 30s. But the pattern of discrimination that comes through in terms of particularly things like dorm housing, um, as well as the whole issue of black athletes, is rather astonishing. Mm-hmm. As we tell you about the Frances McKay story, one of the things that happened is she was denied admission, and a black activist woman leader named Gertrude Brown took her to the legislature uh, because she knew of an anti-discrimination clause that we had. When the story was told to the legislature, there was quite an uproar, in part because there already was on the, on the books, in the statutes of the University of Minnesota legislature, um, an anti-discrimination clause, which read as follows, no person shall be excluded on account of race or color from full and equal enjoyment of any accommodation, advantage, or privilege furnished by public conveyance, theaters, or other public places of amusement, or by hotels, barbershops, saloons, restaurants, or other places of refreshment, entertainment, or accommodation, Hmm. the law said. With that law in place, uh, the legislature decided that the university's refusal to allow a black student to stay in a white dorm violated their, uh, that statute. And so the university was ordered to admit Francis Mackay. And uh, the story really goes on for what happened after that because the policy of President Kaufman did not allow Francis Mackay to stay mm-hmm. where other nursing students stayed. Mm-hmm. In fact, she ended up spending uh, her nurses most of her training time in the home of the black activist woman who brought her to the legislature. Mm-hmm. But it's evident not only in the story of Frances Mackay, there are other student nurse stories also throughout the, throughout the mid-30s that were continuing examples of this kind of discrimination taking place, particularly in housing. And one of the really interesting comments, I think, is that um, one of the rationales or the excuses, I'll say, given for not support, not allowing Francis McKay originally to become a student was because there were no black wards or mm. nursing mm. units at the University of Minnesota. And mm-hmm. throughout the literature dealing with this point in time, at this period of time, that's referred to often. Uh, there are comments like white patients would not allow black, black nurses to take care of them. And all we need to do around that issue is take a look at what's going on right now mm-hmm. with black nurses and non-white nurses in our hospitals today. Patients are refusing to let them care for them. The racial discrimination in place in the 20s in this country is alive and well in hospitals today. Jody Picot wrote a book about that called Small, Small, Large Things, Small, General Things. I think it's Small, Large Things. That is a story of a patient refusing to allow a non-white nurse to care for a baby in uh, in the oh yes, that's an excellent uh, story. Right, but the thing that uh, 
brought it out for me beyond way beyond nursing is um, some of the comments uh, regarding black athletes. Number one, we have documentation showing that they were not allowed to go on travel trips when the team went to play in another city or state. They didn't come because there would be no accommodations for them. They also were regularly mistreated and abused on the field by white players, piled on and other examples of, of behavior that reflects a, a, a clear attitude of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, the men's, another document, the men's dormitory is segregated at the University of Minnesota maintained as a white-only space. The women's uh, dormitories are maintained as white-only spaces here at the University of Minnesota. We maintain a white-only nursing program. Dances to be racially pure at the University of Minnesota. University employees are white-only. Those are just some of the comments that appear in our historical documents at the University of Minnesota. Hmm. Briefly, the issue of Kaufman, however, to go back to that, is just amazing. Um, when the historical, when the history professors appointed to do the special study about the naming of the buildings um, reported on their findings, there was an article in the uh, University Alumni News, and I excerpted one paragraph which really consists of two sentences that I want to read you to reflect about the kind of communication, the kind of obfuscation of truth that was prevalent then and probably still is today. This is Kaufman speaking uh, about his racial views. He says, No rule has ever actually been adopted denying colored students admission to the university dormitories. Reads a 1931 letter, which became part of this exhibit, from Kaufman to the president of the Minneapolis branch of the NAACP, regarding a black student denied dorm housing. So there's Kaufman denying that there is such a policy. The next sentence in this article says, from Kaufman, quote, no colored student has applied before for admission to the university dormitories. The good sense and sound judgment of the colored students and their parents with regard to this matter has been a source of constant gratification. Oh, my gosh. So the racism was blatant, it was profound, it was in, embedded in the systems of the school of, uh, the, of the university. And so the School of Nursing's experience with Frances McKay that opened the window for me and others about this issue has really exploded into a whole awareness of the uh, insidious nature of white privilege the absolute blindness. I was blind to the university. You know, the University of Minnesota is a nice liberal, quote-unquote, organization. I have always assumed that the values that I admire at the university have always been in place. Mm -hmm. And for sure, uh, that's not true in this case. Wow. I think that's probably a good time for me to... um, make some concluding remarks, just that um, the discrimination of blacks at the University of Minnesota has been embedded in the school's principles, policies, and practices probably since its very beginning in the the mid-19th century. 
those practices are uh, no longer in place as uh, as I've been talking about them. There are there there are new policies, a very open door idea. However, within our society, the same kinds of discriminatory, ad- prejudicial attitudes and, and racist systems continue to play out. And um, uh, for me personally, um, there's a whole new uh, attitude towards inclusivity, connectivity, and a sense of oneness that I think is is critical to uh, our our future together. There was one more comment that I just wanted to make, and that is someone's reflection. One of the who was the dean of the medical school in a letter to Kaufman uh, about this matter of racial uh, discrimination and not allowing black student nurses to live in dorms with white student nurses. He comments that it flies in the face of nursing's value of being of taking care of everybody regardless of color, age, or any other changing factors. And he says, if black student nurses are not allowed to live with, in, in housing with white student nurses, how can that be justified in our professional value of equal treatment for all who are ill? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really profound question, a really profound question. Exactly. Um, I think this might be a good place to take a break, but first I wanted to mention for uh, listeners who are not involved in nursing or have not uh, had that curriculum uh, or or been involved in in, uh, a university or a school of nursing, um, a a huge amount of the learning uh, that nurses do is done in the dorm. Uh, Coming back, I mean, you're almost moving as one uh, in many ways in many schools where you're going through the same classes, you may have a a cohort that you're you're working with, Um, you come back to the dorm and you talk about it afterwards, you talk about it at lunch, you talk about it at dinner, you talk about it in each other's rooms and you maybe are studying together and there's a hundred different ways that being in the dorm is critical a, a critical part of the nursing um, uh, education. So I just wanted to make that point. And then let's uh, go ahead and take a break here. And when we come back, uh, Ben, if you could share your aunt's story a little bit more about her, that would be wonderful. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. We're talking today about Frances Mackay, RN, Building a Culture of Diversity from 1929. And my guests today are Benjamin Mackay and uh, Marie Manthe. We'll be right back. to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us again. This is Leanne Meyer, and we're talking today. The name of our show is um, Francis Mackay, RN, Building a Culture of Diversity from 1929. And as I said, my guests are Benjamin Mackay, who is a nephew of Francis, and um, Marie Manthe, who is a hero of mine. So, Ben, could you tell us a little bit more, kind of give us a, a flesh out a little bit more about your aunt, who she was, and and maybe how uh, her experience related into the U of, of University of Minnesota? Um, Frances McKay was born in South Minneapolis. Uh, she was the oldest of three children. Her, she had two brothers. Uh, one was my father. Um she went to South High School in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, they didn't have GPAs back then, but she was probably a 4.0 uh, going forward. She claims that she was a shy individual. I never <laughs> knew her when she was 18, obviously, and I consider her extremely gregarious, extremely intelligent, and extremely social. I think all of those attributes with her intelligence were part of the package that propelled her to uh, break down that wall of discrimination at the University of Minnesota. Um, uh, Ms. Manthe was talking about the dormitory issues at the school. Um, my aunt ran into that problem even after the Board of Regents 
uh, caved in with the pressure from the legislature to admit her in 1929. She was not able to um, initially get into the dorms, and because of that, uh, I, conversations that I've had with her back in the late 80s, um, she said that her father, my grandfather, uh, escorted her to classes for the first first month uh, that she was on campus just to make sure that everything was all right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't consider her or my grandfather the type of people that would overreact to racism. And so for him to feel the need to be by her side probably makes a statement to underscore what Ms. Manthe was saying about the toxicity and uh, the body language or the vibe, if you will, that black people trying to get an education at that institution went through. Um, also, um, it's important to note that in Minnesota, uh, one of the biggest issues that have to do with um, the situations of people of color to this very day are that we don't have numbers. You know, there's just not a lot of black people in the state of Minnesota. And, and because of that, that means that there's a wealth and there's a structure, systemic structure problem uh, uh, too. And that's one of the reasons why even after she did get that job at General Hospital in Hennepin County, in order for her to move up to be all that she could be and to pursue all of her thinking and feeling academically and into the profession, the medical profession, she had to leave. And uh, she had to go where the numbers were better, and that could support her desire to grow in the profession, which is why uh, she left and went to Detroit and broke the color barrier there with uh, a number of other nurses, uh, Mm -hmm. did the same thing in New Orleans, and ended up um, at Fisk University. Uh, She also uh, worked at Tuskegee University, too. And um, I think that the support mechanism that historic black colleges uh, that are primarily east of the Mississippi and south of the Ohio River lays testimony to the kind of capacity that African-Americans had when they had at least a population uh, leverage to be the best they could be collectively. All of those schools existed because of the same problems found south that were existent at the University of Minnesota. The difference is with the kind of numbers they had, they could band together collectively, save their pennies, sing for people like the Fisk Jubilee singers to bring money in to create Fisk University, to create Alcorn State, to create Jackson State, to create Tuskegee University, and so on and so forth. And she was a part of that piece um, at administrative um, level. And so I think that that's important to articulate about my aunt. Um, Another thing is that um, yes, uh, if you read about my aunt, what you can do on the registry's website, she's got a number of awards and she mentored somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, a dozen to 25 uh, PhD students uh, after she was married and moved to open the, um, the uh, medical practice with her husband, Horace Raines, in Long Beach, California. But all of these steps that she took, uh, whether it's from South to U of M, from U of M on to 
all of the places that she influenced in the medical profession, she didn't do it to get praise. She did it because she was a humble woman. Maybe that's where she got her shyness statement about herself. But she was purposeful for the medical profession. She was purposeful for community involvement and the uplifting of her people and the uplifting of all people that she interacted with. And this is an aspect of her that I think is as solid as any factual uh, numbers that go along with um, her accomplishments going forward. This, This is part of what the University of Minnesota scholarship in her name is looking for in candidates that mm-hmm. uh, will and have qualified uh, for a financial uh, support to become a nurse. And, and that's something that that is important going forward. Also, to get back to what uh, Ms. Manthe was saying about the atmosphere on the campus of the U, Francis graduated in 1932, um, two years after she graduated. Uh, for all of you people who are at least aware of football in the Big Ten. Um, there are a number of reasons that Big Ten schools play each other from a symbolic piece. Uh, there's the axe that uh, is given away to the winner of the Wisconsin Badger Minnesota Gopher football game. Uh, there's the jug that's given away between the winner of the Michigan Wolverine Minnesota Gopher game. And there's a a prize called Floyd of Rosedale that is given away to the winner of the Iowa Hawkeye Minnesota Gopher game. Well, that that trophy, that Floyd of Rosedale, uh, has a racial background. It 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 Floyd the pig, if you will, uh, it was created because of discrimination during a football game um, in 1934 two years after she graduated, where there was a player for the uh, Iowa Hawkeyes named Ozzie Simmons, who was discriminated against that day um, because he was black. And the discrimination came in how he was treated on the football field from a penalty standpoint by the Gopher mm-hmm. football team. So the the message that came out of the university you know, it, it wasn't just limited to nursing. It wasn't just limited to the dormitories, and and it and it, it broke a lot of things that were in writing that said that discrimination was not tolerated, but it was tolerated, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's just something that I wanted to put out there. Finally, from the standpoint of Francis, you know, she. She was special. I've been back to uh, Long Beach uh, this year, uh, telling the few old friends and colleagues of her that are still left about the scholarship, and they're very pleased, and I'm sure they will support it if they haven't already. But with that, um, it is important for me to say that uh, her community involvement in her church, Grant AME Church on Alameda Avenue, her uh, commitment to the Long Beach uh, Community Improvement League, which she founded in 1964. Um, there's still a picture of her in the lobby of that building. Uh, I talked to some people um, the end of uh, last month at, the, at a place called Success and Challenges on the north side of the city. 
they remember her, and there was even one woman who uh, told me that uh, her son, uh, her son's first house was purchased from my aunt after she uh, became a real estate broker. Um, So her legacy lives on, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm very proud uh, to be related to her uh, as a family member, Uh, but I'm also even more proud to be related to her with the kind of um, uh, memories that she is... uh, sprinkled about in the people that she has interacted with and will continue to uh, through the scholarship that the University of Minnesota is, um, is putting forth. Thank you, Ben. That's exactly what I was hoping you could come across with is the humanity of, of who she was as an individual within your family, but also within the scope of what she did through her life. The other thing we haven't mentioned here today is that while she was going through her nursing program from 1929 to 1932, she also graduated at the same time with a degree in education. So, any of us listening knows how difficult the nursing programs are and and always have been. It's it's a very difficult program to get through. To do that simultaneously doing an education degree just absolutely blows me out of the water. And, and she graduated top of her class. Where the PhD students comes in. Yes, right. And then as Marie was just saying, she t- she graduated at the top of her class. So it just speaks to her intelligence, her capability, her uh, perseverance in every way, shape, and form. She uh, stood out uh, from a- anybody else going to the, the school at that time. Um, I, I'm hoping Marie, uh, Marie does salons in her home, nursing salons, and I've been able to be to a few of them, and they're wonderful because it's just an open forum for people. Um, when I've been there, there have been students, there have been PhD people, there have been people who are at the, the height of, of administration in many of our large uh, hospitals, um, and you just sit around and talk to each other about what are the issues in nursing. So Marie also uh, sat in on a, a nursing salon of color that she held in her home, and I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit, Marie, about what your perceptions were yeah. of that time. Right. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Leanne. Uh, first of all, I just want to say one more thing about Frances McKay. In her obituary, one of her friends said she could make you laugh and cry at the same time. <laughs> and that comment just intrigues me. And I know I wish I knew her. I would like to have known Frances McKay. Okay, so, you, yeah, Leanne, many years ago I started having gatherings of nurses in my home, which became to be called nursing salons. And we talk about issues in nursing. And they are growing around the country. It's kind of like an organic movement. People are finding that coming together, having a conversation about nursing, sharing a meal, and just not trying to persuade anybody, not trying to win any arguments, not trying to make any big decisions, just talking about conversations is having a healing effect on people's feelings and experiences, especially in the stressful times we're in today with nursing. There's a wonderful book by Margaret Wheatley uh, in which she says that uh, uh, conversations change people and people change the world. Well, with what's going on in the world today, in our country today, the issue of discrimination, white supremacy, supremacy, etc., 
has been deeply troubling to me, and I have looked for ways to do things in my personal life that I have some degree of distraught choice about that would address these issues of unfairness and victory that are just so much stronger now than they have been in, in, in much of my past. I was fortunate in being able to find a part to develop a partnership with an African American nurse who's actually presented on this program recently in the past, Tammy Sinkfield. And she and I have begun uh, every two months to have a salon in my home for nurses of color. We are having anywhere from eight to twelve nurses come and uh, nurses of color. And it's a, it's been a, an experience for me sitting in my home with the only white face in the room. Mm. It's, uh, it's so uh, moving for me to feel what it is that they feel all the time because so often, especially in nursing, there may be one or perhaps two African-American nurses working somewhere in close proximity to each other, but mostly they're working alone. Um, and this is an opportunity where they come and talk about what's actually what they're actually experiencing as a function of their skin color uh, and it's an opportunity for them to receive really peer support for the uh, stigma and shame uh, behaviors that other people try to uh, in- impose on them. It's an opportunity for them to heal from the hurts of being treated in a special way because of the color of their skin. Uh, listening to those experiences has been a profound experience for me. I went into it with a mindset to accept without defensiveness, without denial, and without needing to make any excuses. I'm so glad that I had that mental intention uh, that I can own because it kept me from saying, oh, no, 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 they didn't mean that. <laughs> oh, no, that isn't, it is. Mm-hmm. I've come so honor so deeply that by people's perception of what's going on in a relationship is what's going on in the relationship for them. And there mm-hmm. is absolutely no point in trying to change their mind. It can't be done. It shouldn't be done. But mm-hmm. I have seen, as, as, a real, as a result of this, the kinds of subtle discriminatory behavior. And the shameful thing for me is that I can imagine myself actually having done some of that sometime, perhaps not picking an African-American nurse for a promotion because she wouldn't fit in as well as a white nurse. I mean, all those kinds of mental uh, games we play, I guess. Gymnastics, maybe. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to think I ever did that, but I have to admit maybe I did. The end product for me, and these are going on, and I'm so deeply appreciative to Sammy, Sammy Singfield, and they're going on an ongoing basis. And, um, what was I going to say about that? Um, I, I really want to uh, encourage anyone listening who feels the way I did. I wanted to do something, and I didn't know what to do. I wanted to do something in my life that could begin to address racial uh, inequities. And what I ended up with is having a deep sense of needing to be forgiven. Hmm. And I, I don't know how this is going to go, but I need to say I'm sorry, not only for the things that I did, but also for what's been going on for the last 400 years due to people with skin like mine. 
I don't know where that piece of it's going to go, but here's what I do want to say. Anybody can do this. Anybody who can find uh, an African-American partner to work with. I don't think a white nurse alone can do this, but I think with a partnership with an African-American nurse, it's entirely possible to begin having these conversations for us to learn more about what it is and what can be done to begin to address it. I'm learning so much about disparities and inequities uh, that I know my learning is going to be informing myself and all those I influence, and that step is available to every single one of us. So um, the nursing uh, salons uh, for people of color is growing, and I'm personally willing to help anybody who wants more information about this. I have information about salons in general on my uh, Marie Manthe Nursing Salon blog, which anybody can look at on the Internet. But the, the nurses of color ones would come would need to come directly to me for um, uh, for further discussion. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Francis McKay has opened up some tremendous changes, uh, not only uh, in this respect, but also the School of Nursing has is now uh, has a Francis McKay scholarship which uh, is providing some direct support to African-American or other nurses of other colored skin, um, other form, <laughs> other types of colored skin. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it is a commitment on the part of the school to openly discuss the racism of the past as a way to make sure that any kind of discriminatory attitudes or prejudicial attitudes on the part of anybody faculty, mm-hmm. staff, other students can be, begin to be addressed so that all forms of, of uh, prejudice and racism can eventually be removed or are greatly minimized within the School of Nursing. The Francis right. McKay Scholarship is giving us that opportunity to talk about the situation, to talk about her, and to talk about how we are beginning to address it by providing funding for nurses of color to get into the School of Nursing at the university. Right. This has a personal component to me, to me also. Um, when I went to your house, Marie, for the, um, the funding drive that you had uh, for Francis, uh, Francis Mackay's scholarship, um, it was uh, like a mind-blowing event for me because about a year ago when I was really struggling with whether or not I could continue with this show, um, I was trying to find some... Um, something that propelled me beyond just me doing the show. And what I came up with is that I really, really wanted to be able to um, create some sort of scholarship for nurses or for people who wanted to become nurses but could not afford to. I hadn't focused it on um, non-white people, but um, just in general, I wanted anybody that wanted to be a nurse to be able to have this available to them. But I was lost trying to think, how on earth would I ever set that up myself? And as I was thinking about this and how I've been really, really, really praying about it for over a year, and then I went to your house, and there it was. It's all here. (laughs) Somebody already set it up. All I have to do is support it. And so that made a profound yeah. difference for me. That's, that's really good. And Ben McKay gets full credit. Mm-hmm. He got the scholarship accepted 
uh, even before we had any money uh, in the pot. But mm-hmm. as soon as we got the funding in, we were able to begin really functioning uh, and giving it away. Ben, let's go to that. Now, if somebody is listening to this and would like to contribute to the Francis Mackay Scholarship for for nursing at the University of Minnesota, how would they go about doing that? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, the definitive answer is that uh, the scholarship exists if you if you go to the U of M uh, website uh, for the School of Nursing. They have uh, a number of links to, to get to. Uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, Marie can be a little more specific about um, where that is. Um, but at the same time, yeah. we... Yeah. Um, uh, as African American Registry, uh, we are going to have our own page up probably in about a week that we'll be talking about the uh, the first recipients of the scholarship, mm-hmm. which we do have. We just don't have the information from the uh, the offices at Weaver Densford Hall yet, um, and uh, that's aaregistry.org. Uh, there's a donation link there that uh, will get open up that page, and on that page there is a link that will go directly to the U of M uh, page for the Francis Sky Scholarship. They can open that up and they can donate whatever amount they have um, going forward. On our page, we're going to be able to, according to the uh, agreement with the U of M, School of Nursing be able to showcase the names only of the people who are donating and will also be able to um, um, publish the, uh, the names of the recipients as well. I wanted to talk a little bit about something that uh, both of you uh, touched on, and that is you know, the, the importance of this going forward uh, for non-white students who are trying to get into the medical profession and may be financially strapped uh, to do so properly. Um, Marie said something about there were people or are people today who, though they may be sick uh, and vulnerable uh, medically, are not comfortable with being treated by uh, a non-white nurse, nurse practitioner, or even a doctor. And the reality of that going forward historically for this country is that I can understand that um, in Minnesota, uh, but back to the southern piece where the historic black colleges uh, exist, that sort of thing, uh, white people in the south are very used to being taken care of by Mm -hmm nurses of color, and that's because that's where slavery evolved from. That's where Mm -hmm. segregation evolved from. I think this scholarship puts out on the table something that both you, uh, Leanne, and Marie have talked about personally, and that is that this salon that Miss Manthe has and and the, the event at her home on behalf of the Francis Mackay Scholarship, what it did was it allowed white people, many of them um, nurses or in the medical profession, to move 
out of their comfort zone and come to a place where everything was either more equitable as far as the people in the room or certainly the conversation was more equitable and non-white in the room. And then I think what everybody found in various levels of their own person from a, a racial standpoint is that there is beauty and power Right, in the name of right. feeling on the other side of the pain or indifference that you have right. by being in the room with somebody who doesn't look like you. Mm-hmm. Right. And healing is at the core of this profession. Francis knew it. Both of you and this program know it. And I'd be willing to bet that most of you listeners in Voice of America, they don't know it. They certainly understand it. And moving forward, it is that it is that giving up something of that privilege of whiteness in the name of this profession is it's crucial to make the profession grow because it is the fastest growing one of the fastest growing industries in the world mm-hmm. and therefore it needs these bodies of people that are qualified and like it or not a lot of these bodies are not white people mm-hmm but they have a brain, they have a heart, and all they need is the yep. curriculum, and the syllabus, the professor, uh, the structure to become the best person that they can be as a nurse. And Marie, we have Francis just a minute him. left to the show. Can you, ju- do, did you want to say something? Marie? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, for, the, for those of you who were listening, I hope that we've been able to inspire you and, um, uh, I hope that you uh, make some decisions to go forward in this this realm in the future. Thank you for listening. I agree. You're welcome. And I want to thank my guests also for this uh, energetic discussion. And um, also, if anybody is interested in contributing, um, if you go to my host page and to this show, on uh, the program description at the at the end of the program description uh, is the information on how to get to the the um, University of Minnesota site, and um, it is not a link; it's just the letters, but you can cut and paste. So, thank you so much. This has been an important show, and I am so grateful for both guests and for anybody who's listening. Please spread this message. Um, This has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and thank you again for, for listening and being here. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.